When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 25, and we are recording on Wednesday, May 9th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am pretty good. Um, I'm kind of marveling at the fact that we've been recording this for almost a year now. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. When did we... We started in the summer. I know that. I think I it was like remember. beginning of... Yeah, it was like beginning of June. Um, okay. But I'm I'm just even just going by the episode numbers since we're a bi-weekly podcast and we're almost on episode 26. You're smart. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Cookie for me. I was definitely like thinking about that. As soon as you said one year, I had this moment of uh, what's 52 divided by two. <laughs> I'm very tired today, guys. So <laughs> That's all right. Thankfully, we don't have to do too much mental math on this show. Yeah, right? There's a reason why I do podcasts, book-related podcasts, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a reason why this is not a math podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, Well, for anyone who is just joining us, um, if this is your first episode, welcome. You've got almost a year's worth of episodes to catch up on. (laughs) But, um, But yeah, we talk about mysteries and thrillers. And movie adaptations and stuff going on in the news and new book releases and theme book lists and anything else that kind of uh, strikes our fancy or that strikes our lit- our listeners' fancies that they uh, write into us about. Um, so yeah, we just kind of have a little bit of everything going on on this show. So if you uh, think of something that would be of interest to hear us talk about on the show, we'll have our um, we'll have our contact information at the end so that you can reach out to us and let us know about this super cool interesting thing that you want to hear more about um but yeah so that's just with uh this is just kind of that's kind of the general thing for this podcast although it's also kind of a everything's made up and the points don't matter so so (laughs) we we do a little bit of what we want on here um i will kick it off this is a news heavy episode like we both put in a bunch of links to stuff um, like things are happening in the mystery world. So Rincey, I'll let you uh, go ahead and kick the, kick us off with that. Yeah. So the first thing we definitely want to talk about are the Edgar Awards, which if you listen to last episode, uh, we were recording like the day before the Edgar Awards were announced. And so obviously now the winners have been announced. And so we definitely wanted to talk about that just a little bit. Um, so I'm going to just run through these relatively quickly and give my own personal thoughts. And Katie, obviously, you can jump in as well. Uh, the most exciting for me, of course, is Best Novel went to Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. And I was so happy when I saw that one. Obviously, we talked in the last episode about what we wanted to happen and that was like my number one pick i said that if she could win every win every award possible that would be great because i think that she just deserves them all um give her the puller surprise i don't care <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um and then best first novel went to she writes shotgun by jordan harper which i've been hearing really good things about um but just have not gotten around to yet myself uh base 
Best Paperback Original went to The Unseeing by Anna Mazzola. Best Fact Crime went to Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, which has been getting a lot of attention after it won the National Book Award last year. Uh, Best Critical slash Biographical went to Chester B. Himes, A Biography. Um, Best Short Story went to Spring Break by John Crowley, which I have not read. Um, Best Juvenile went to Vanished by James Ponty. And then Young Adult went to Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, which I also adore very, very much and highly recommend to everyone here who you haven't uh, read it yet. Um, He also narrates the audiobook, which is fantastic. Definitely recommend that. Um, TV episode went to Somebody to Love from Fargo, which was exciting. I haven't been keeping up with Fargo, though, so I definitely haven't seen that episode yet. Uh, But it's definitely the only show on that list that I watched. Um, (laughs) And then uh, the Mary Higgins Clark Award went to The Widow's House by Carol Goodman. And then there were a couple of other other sort of um, acknowledgments and things like that, which I won't touch upon. But yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes to the full list uh, or you can just head to the edgars.com to check out all the nominees and winners from this year but yeah kitty what were your thoughts when you saw the winner um well i i had a feeling that attica lock would win just from the just from just from the the different feedback that the novels have gotten since they were published i just i just had an inkling um best fact crime killers of the flower moon again that wasn't really a surprise um f- uh, shortly, I think shortly after we recorded that last episode, one of my really good friends who we regularly will regularly swap books with each other, um, she just finished reading Killers of the Flower Moon. And this was one that she was like, I stayed up late. I missed appointments. I rescheduled get togethers with my friends so I could just keep reading this book. And she, um, she texted me and she's like, have you read it yet? Slash, do you own a copy of it? If not, do you want to borrow mine? And I was like, shockingly, I do, I have not read it nor do I own it so I'm like yes I would love to borrow a copy so hopefully when she she's on vacation right now so hopefully when she comes back I can I can snatch that up um I totally second um all of the praise for Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds I know we have talked about that this one a couple of times in relation to the Edgar Awards I will mention again it really isn't a mystery as as you would um, as you would typically think of it, it does. The story is centered around a crime, a shooting, but it's it's written in prose and it's more about the character rather than like what actually happened. Um, but that being said, it is a fantastic book. The audiobook is amazing. Um, Jason Reynolds can narrate all of the audiobooks, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and yeah, I was looking at the TV episode category because I didn't really pay too much attention to it either. Um, and I, yeah, I have not kept up with with any of like the recent episodes of Fargo. Although um, Blaine and I did watch the first season and then like half of season two. Uh, we need to go back and watch it. But I loved the first season. Um, and we both have a really odd shared mutual love of the movie (laughs) it's like one of those random movies that he and i can like quote verbatim it's like fargo and jurassic park are like our movies (laughs) um so i was excited to see that um i was excited to hear that fargo won that as well so apparently it's the the later seasons are just as good yeah i watched the first two seasons all the way through because i actually watched season two first and mm-hmm. then I went back and watched season one. So I've just seen those two. But yeah, I definitely yeah. need to uh, catch up with that show. 
Yeah. And my sister, I think, has only seen season three, and she said it was amazing. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I guess between between all of the people mentioned here as a series, <laughs> Fargo's really great. <laughs> all right. Um, and then the other one, other award-related news item that uh, we wanted to talk about really quickly is that the Agatha Award winners were announced at the end of April as well. Um, so these, again, I'm just going to run through very quickly. Obviously, we didn't talk about all the nominees here, but um, there'll be a link in the show notes to the website that has them all listed. So you guys can check it out yourself. Um, so Best Contemporary Novel went to Glass Houses by Louise Penny, which is not very surprising at all because so many people love Louise Penny. Um, Best Historical Novel went to In Farley Field by Reese Bowen, which I've never heard of before. Um the reason why we kind of wanted to mention this is because Best First Novel went to Hollywood Homicide uh, by Kelly Garrett, which we have talked about multiple times on this podcast in relation to just other books that you guys could check out. And I was personally really excited when I saw that it won the award because besides the fact that like very rarely do you get people of color getting published but also like getting recognition and then winning the awards is always just very very exciting and especially Hollywood Homicide it's a first novel it's not like a super big novel like I don't think it's gotten very much attention at all um and so like the fact that it won this award is really great um best nonfiction went to From Holmes to Sherlock the story of men and women who created an icon uh by Matthias Bostrom and then Best Short Story went to The Library Ghost of Tanglewood Inn by Gigi Pandian, I believe is how you say it. And then Best Children slash Young Adult went to Sydney McKenzie, Knock Some Dead by Cindy Callahan. Um, and then there were a couple of individual awards there as well. But yeah, just wanted to mention that really quickly. And also is just sort of like another plug to pick up Hollywood Homicide if you haven't yet. Personally, I also haven't yet. Um, I've been trying to get my library to purchase a copy of it just because... That's always my first row when it comes to books. Um, but I mean, I feel like at this point I might as well just like bite the bullet and buy the Kindle copy of it or something like that because I feel like it's going to take forever before my library actually gets a copy. So yeah, I might end up doing that sometime soon. Yeah, I um, I'm, I I don't remember what episode it was for. Yeah, I, I unfortunately can't remember. Um, but I, I did read Hollywood Homicide and Cozy Mysteries Aren't Usually My Thing. Um, and this one is definitely not your typical kind of cozy mystery, but it's got it's got a lot of humor to it. Um, it's got some really interesting characters, um, and I and I was really excited to to see that one win as well. Just because I feel like with the Agatha Awards, you really do get it's. I mean, there it's specifically like a like a cozy mystery award. So you get the same, the same authors and the same types of books in there. And I feel, and I feel like um, Hollywood homicide is a real departure from the types of books that are usually mentioned uh, in there. Um, and uh, so uh, it's, it's, it, it'll be, um, I'm excited to see the, see if this will, bring will bring about more readers for this particular book because like I said not usually my jam but I really did like that one yeah all right and then the final piece of news that I will be highlighting um, is just a quick piece of just adaptation news uh, Sherlock Holmes 3 is coming to theaters officially uh, Christmas 2020 this is the third one in the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law installment or version I suppose you could say of the Sherlock Holmes franchise um, I believe that 
Guy Ritchie is, oh no, a director has yet to be announced, so it might not even be Guy Ritchie uh, doing this third adaptation, which would be really interesting because I saw the first one. I didn't see the second one, not because I didn't like it, but just because I don't watch that many movies. Um, So I often miss out on sequels. But yeah, I watched the first Sherlock Holmes. And like, if you haven't seen a Guy Ritchie movie before, he has a very specific style. And so I feel like if you're getting a director who's not Guy Ritchie, the third film is going to feel so different from the other two films so it'll be interesting to see if he comes back for the third one or not or if he just has no interest in doing it again i don't know um they make a lot of money because it says that the combined the first two films uh both films grossed more than a billion dollars so i don't know maybe he's negotiating his rate or something like that but i'm i enjoy them they're fun they are Sherlock Holmes movies but only kind of like he very much is like a Sherlock Holmes type but they definitely don't like try to be faithful to the original movies it's definitely a very unique take on them but I still think they're really fun yeah I I'm not a huge movie watcher either so I haven't seen any of them don't tell anyone um but um I know I several friends of mine have seen both of them and really liked them so I'm sure they're they're just going to be thrilled that there's a third one coming out yeah um as far as um other adaptations go we've got a a few more that I want to run through real quickly um the girl waits with gun which is the first book in the cop sisters series by amy stewart yes um that is going to be adapted as a series by um with uh amazon and uh i'm trying to see if they i don't i should have skimmed this first i don't think they have a um i don't think they have a lead actress yet or anything like that um just that they're kind of figuring out who's going to produce it and stuff like that. But that is on the radar if you really liked that book. And that is one that's been on my to-read list for a while now. Um, they're, uh, they are adapting the nonfiction book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, um, which we've talked about a couple times. Um, that, has a, uh, that has a release date for January 1st, 2020, so a long ways off, but it is supposed, um, and supposed to star Michael B. Jordan, who is apparently just doing all the things now. Um, not surprisingly, but that's also, enough. Also, I'm, com- I'm completely okay with him being in everything. If he could just do that forever, that'd be great. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan for everything. Um, so yeah, that one again is coming out uh, January 1st, 2020. And then... Uh, finally, in adaptation news, um, Sophia Lillis, who um, is she was in the last year's remake of It as Beverly Marsh. Um, so if you have not seen It or are not super obsessed with the book like I am, maybe she may not uh, she may not ring any bells for you. Um, but she is going to be in the uh, upcoming HBO adaptation of Sharp Objects as the younger version of AD, uh, Amy Adams's character. And she is also uh, set to play Nancy Drew in an upcoming film adaptation. And I am still very much a hardcore Nancy Drew fan. I was when I was a kid. And I really loved Sophia Lillis in It. I thought she was fantastic. Um, And so I'm really excited to see her in Sharp Objects. And I'm really excited to see her as Nancy Drew. I'm hoping she does a little bit better than the uh, Emma Roberts version. But we shall see. Um, But I am optimistic for this one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I feel like I've never seen a Nancy Drew adaptation that I've actually liked. There was an old one, like from the 40s, 30s or 40s, that I remember watching on VHS when I was a kid. And it was so different from the actual books, but I just remember loving it just because, like, you're a kid and you just, like, the more you watch something, the more you love it. Right. So um, I do I do remember that. But, but yeah, Nancy Drew is a hard one, is a hard one to adapt, and I think really, I don't know. To get the spirit of the book. So I don't know how the movie will do with that, but I have a feeling Sophia Lillis is, is going to be a really cool Nancy Drew. Yeah, I definitely could see her as being Nancy Drew. So that's a good casting decision. Let's just hope the writing and directing goes well. <laughs> All right. Um, so I have our first sponsor for this episode, and that is The Lies They Tell by Jillian French. And this is a new dark thriller that's perfect for fans of E. Lockhart's We Were Liars. Pearl waits tables at the local country club where all the rich townspeople talk about the Garrison family tragedy that left four family people dead. But people talk. And with many suspecting that Pearl's dad, who was the caretaker of the Garrison property when the house went up in flames, is to blame, Pearl makes it her mission to befriend the spoiled rich kids that she detests the most. Uh, Because the one thing that the fire didn't take was the truth. Um, So you can find The Lies They Tell wherever you buy books. And fun fact, uh, Jillian French was one of the uh, nominees for Young Adult for the Edgar Awards. I just noticed that as I was reading through the Edgar Awards. Um, So... She obviously is a skilled writer. So if that premise sounds interesting to you, uh, again, you can pick up The Lies They Tell by Jillian French. And I have to say, whenever I see her name, I think Gillian Flynn and Tana French, I get super excited and then realize, no, it is a totally different person. And it also takes me a second because I always want to say Gillian because of Gillian Flynn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always have to like, there's like a split second pause that I have in my head every single time where I... I'm like, no, it's Jillian French, (laughs) which, uh, yeah, but hopefully she can uh, live up to those names. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. Don't go into the book thinking about that. (laughs) Just enjoy the mystery for what it is. Yeah. Pretend we didn't say that. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Let's cut that out of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So we got a reader email a few weeks ago and saying that one one topic that we hadn't touched on that they thought might be interesting for us to talk about would be funny mysteries, um, mysteries that either have an element of humor to them or are just like designated as they're supposed to be funny from start to finish, um, which we went, you know, we decided, okay, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Um, and it was only talking to each other in the few minutes before we started recording that we realized neither one of us are... Um, we're, we're a little hard to crack when it comes to funny books. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if you'd call us not necessarily skeptics, but from, I was going to say for me, it takes a lot to make me laugh out loud at what I'm reading anything. I was saying like, generally, if it's, if it's something written by a stand-up comedian, I'm usually, I usually am pretty, am pretty good with that. Um... There are like I did I did find not a mystery and also not a stand-up comedian, but I did listen to Gabrielle Union's We're Gonna Need More Wine. And I did definitely have there were a few moments in there. She narrates the audiobook, and I definitely had a few moments where I snorted out loud, like really loudly to myself by myself in the car. Um so but that doesn't always happen with funny books. And I guess you're kind of the same, Rincey. Yeah, so 
going through this was kind of an interesting experience for me because I just realized, especially for mysteries, I don't go for funny. Like, I feel like when I want a mystery, thriller, suspense, whatever type of book you want to put under this umbrella, the ones I like are the ones that are a little bit darker. I'm not quite as dark as Katie, but (laughs) few people are. (laughs) But I do, I am going for something like suspenseful and like, you know, that has me a little bit on the edge of my seat sort of situation. So I feel like funny mysteries for me personally often lean into more like cheesy, which is very rarely something I want out of a book. And I think also just my personal sense of humor has a lot to do with like delivery and timing. And I also really like like physical humor, like as a general sense of like the types of things that make me laugh. So obviously like books can't provide you with physical humor. I mean, they can describe it, but I feel like for me, it's about seeing the physical action. Um, And then also, again, it's about delivery. So when I'm reading it in my head, it doesn't have that same sort of like snappiness to it. Or maybe it's just like my own personal tone that I put on these books has like that cheesiness to it. And so sometimes I can make it work if I do it as an audiobook, um, because then if the narrator does a good job with it, it can make me maybe chuckle and things like that. Uh, but most of the time, I just don't pick up books that are meant to be funny. Usually if someone tells me it's going to be a funny book, I'm like more critical of it and I don't ever think it's funny. Like a lot of times the books that I find amusing besides similarly like comedian memoirs or celebrity memoirs or whatever um, are just ones that just have these sort of like slight clever moments, but it's not meant to be a quote unquote funny book. Yeah, I I find that and I think this might be that. Well, I is one of the reasons I think I generally don't go for cozy mysteries because cozy mysteries, I feel like have a lot they they a lot of the story hinges on on that type of humor and for me it doesn't it like you said it doesn't often work for me for me it feels a little forced yeah um at times and so you know and for some people that is totally their their sense of humor if that is you you know you do you i'm not you know this is by no means a critique of the of the books themselves it just you know they don't always work for me um and i i have had a couple of mysteries that I've read that I did that I did like throughout find amusing or like they consistently kept me feeling amused um, instead of just, you know, isolated moments or, you know, different scenes uh, or like one particular scene that stands out. And I'll mention those after we talk about um, the books that we that we started for this episode. Why don't you why don't you talk about yours? Because I have never heard of this author or this title and I'm kind of interested. Yeah. So it's funny because because Um, I was actually looking to see if I could find, you know, a non-white author for this task. And so I went to uh, fellow book writers and basically was like, give me all of your suggestions that you have. And I checked out like five books. Um, So this is the one that worked the best for me. And I actually would keep going with this one, except I'm just not in like literally right now. This is not what I'm in the mood for because I'm such a mood reader. Um, But anyways, it's called Living the Vida Lola by Misa Ramirez. And so in this book, you are following this character named Lola Cruz, and she uh, 
is basically starting out as a detective, or I think she's relatively early in her career. Um, her boss is this guy named Manny, who is a former cop and has this mysterious ex-wife situation that's going on. And it turns out that Lola um, basically decided she wanted to become a pr private detective because she got hired as like a high schooler to take photographs of like her older brother's friend cheating on his girlfriend or something along those lines. Um and so she like realized that she like like that whole aspect of like sneaking around and trying to like figure out this whole mystery thing. Um but it all this guy was also kind of um her high school crush too. And so she's working as a private detective now and she ends up basically getting tangled up in this mystery that also uh involves Jack Callahan, who is this guy from her high school past. And so it's partially about sort of her figuring out her ways as a detective while also encountering this guy from the past who is still extremely attractive and good looking and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's just like really fun. Um, it's very cheesy. Like it feels like I'm watching a rom-com starring a detective almost. Like it very much felt like like, I could see, like, if this wasn't a Hispanic person in the lead, I would, like, cast, like, Katherine Heigl. Like, that's sort of what I had in my head, like, a Hispanic Katherine Heigl. Because she's, like, kind of funny and, like, a little bit awkward. But you could tell, like, she's very much still, like, a beautiful, great, smart person. Um, and it's just kind of fun to watch her... Um, flirt with this guy and sort of figure out the situation and things like that and uh she definitely like this book definitely reminded me a lot of like the stephanie plum type of books um where it's just like this funny smart female detective who is trying to solve this case while also just getting into hijinks with like this boy she has a crush on i shouldn't say boy it's a man they're both adults but yes <laughs> so yeah it's just like a fun book i didn't get all the way through i got about halfway through and i probably will still read it uh, all the way through just to see what happens because I am intrigued by it. And I feel like for someone like me who isn't super into funny books, the fact that it caught my attention enough to get through it, it means that it's pretty good. So if you're someone who does like funny books, I feel like you would really, really like this one. Um, and again, that's called Living the... I always want to just say the Ricky Martin song. Living the Vida Lola <laughs> by Misa Ramirez. Um, so yeah, my, my book, um, that I picked, which again, I, I did not, uh, I was not able to get all the way through it either. Like similar to you, it just wasn't like, I've been in on a reading kick lately, but just the, the funny mystery just has not, has not fit in with my reading mood as of late. Um, but the book that I picked was the first book in the Oxford girl mystery series, uh, party girls die in pearls by Plum Sykes. And I wanted to pick a book that wasn't as well known because, like you said, the the Janet Ivanovich, Stephanie Plum series is like the first one that you think of when you think of humorous mysteries, um, or at least at least it is for most people. I was <laughs> I was talking to my to my parents about our upcoming episode uh, this week because they they listened to the first few episodes of this show, and I said, yeah, you know, we're doing we're doing funny mysteries for this episode. My dad goes, that's a thing. I'm like, yes, Dad. Mysteries can be funny. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> My dad doesn't read mysteries very much, as you can tell. So I'm like, yes, yes, mysteries can be funny. Um, but but anyway, so this so this book, um, I had heard of the author, um, and like I was vaguely aware of it, but it was described as Agatha Christie meets Clueless, 
And that's really accurate, actually. Um, it takes place, like the, like the series title indicates, uh, in Oxford. The main character who has one of the most fantastic British names I've ever heard is Ursula Flowerbottom. Oh, so I'm sorry. Ursula Flower Button. I'm getting confused with Neville Longbottom. That's the problem. <laughs> so Ursula Flower Button, still a fantastic British name. Um, she is at Oxford for her first semester. She meets Nancy Feingold, who is a trendsetting American exchange student who obviously, you know, is not... Uh, she, she's not really in with, you know, British customs and traditions and stuff like that. She's just kind of doing her own American thing. Um, and this takes, takes place in the mid eighties. So there's lots of talk about permed hair and shoulder pads and neon. And it's, and it's, it, it has that nostalgia element to it. I was, I was born at the tail end of the eighties, so I don't have that nostalgia firsthand, but I do have a love of eighties stuff. So that was, that was fun. But so it's their first semester and they're just kind of figuring stuff out. It's got it's very much an English boarding school type of story, and they're getting to know the the other students, most of whom are males, and apparently Oxford is just full of really really rich, good looking uh, young college uh, college age men, uh, which I was not aware of, and they have all of these you know fancy these fancy balls and white tie dinners and stuff, and so there there's a lot of this this kind of like. You're kind of, it's kind of like feeling like you're you're in a completely different world and there's lots of fashion and stuff like that. But the mystery comes when one of the um, one of the really glamorous uh, female students at the at Oxford is found murdered um, on the couch in a teacher's study, I think it is. Um, with her throat slashed, and so they have to, they have to figure out what what happened with that because she because there was an argument with, um, with a with her boyfriend or a close friend or something the the same night that she was killed that had to do with their product the theater's production of Hamlet, um, and so I haven't like I said I haven't gotten terribly far in the mystery, but. I, I have gotten far enough to say that the Agatha Christie meets Clueless comparison or Agatha Christie meets 16 Candles or something along those lines. That is totally the vibe that I am getting from this book. Um, it is very British. Like I was like I was reading the ebook version and I, the whole time I just had I just it, the voice in my head suddenly adopted a British accent. Like you you can't not feel like you've just instantly been transported to Oxford. So um, if that is, so if you like British mysteries, if you like British cozy mysteries, if you like funny cozy mysteries, I feel like this would probably definitely be be right up your alley. Um, yeah, like I, like I said, the humor doesn't always work for me, and for me, the it wasn't gelling with what what I've been uh, what I've been more interested in reading lately. Um, but again, that was um, Party Girls Die in Pearls by Plum Sykes. Um, and then real quickly, a couple of the, um, the, the couple of the books I mentioned that, that are mysteries that I did find actually pretty consistently amusing. Um, one of them was, uh, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. This is the first book in the Flavia Deleuze series. Um, it's not necessarily a laugh out loud book, um, 
but I really loved the care. I I loved Flavia's character, and I'm some people find her extremely annoying. I found her really funny, um, and just just kind of like just really really smart and precocious and, and quick witted. Um, I feel like Flavia Deleuze was like the a uh, slightly older British version of Eloise, um, <laughs> except with a little bit more self restraint. <laughs> Um, but I really, but I really enjoyed that book. I, I found that one really consistently amusing. And then the other one is Darkly Dreaming Dexter by Jeff Lindsay. That one is much darker. Um, if you, I'm sure most of you guys are familiar with the Dexter series, either in print or on TV, but Dexter is basically, he has all of the makings and the, and the mental thoughts and stuff to be a serial killer, but he doesn't want to you know go out and kill innocent people so instead he um he works as a blood spatter analyst for i can't remember it's in florida i can't remember which police department it is but he works as a blood spatter analyst and he goes out and is a serial killer towards serial killers like he goes out and kills serial killers and as obviously that one is much darker but that one i listened to on audio and i definitely had moments where i was like laughing out loud like a kind of surprise like oh I did not expect they were going to go there um but again my sense of humor tends to be a lot darker like I I have found the TV version of Hannibal to be particularly funny um (laughs) with their double entendres and like Hannibal making all of making all of these these comments that everyone else takes as innocent but you know he's he's secretly talking about eating people it's fantastic but that is very much up my up my (laughs) Uh, up my alley in terms of sense of humor. So um, that might, those those might be a couple of other books to check out if you are either a into funny mysteries or b not not always into funny mysteries and looking for something that might work. Uh, yeah, I haven't read the Dexter books, but I definitely watched the TV show, and the TV show is super dark, but it does have like very cleverly lighthearted moments where like there's just like a fun turn of phrase uh, when it comes to just like, you know, killing people. <laughs> so <laughs> if I feel like, I mean, if the Dexter books are anything along those same lines, I feel like I might like those as well. Yeah. It's very sharp, very much. Yeah. Like you said, quick turn of phrase, very, um, yeah. Making, making light of really horrible moments. Like I, I can't remember the exact line, but I remember in the book, Dexter makes some kind of comment about a severed finger and I, it was hilarious. So, <laughs> You know, if severed finger jokes are your thing. <laughs> oh, man, if that's a show title, if I ever heard one. Yeah, I figured as soon as that <laughs> left my mouth, I was going, yep, that's going to be the show title. <laughs> so, yeah, like we said, I mean, funny books, I feel like it's, funny books are very hard to sort of give recommendations for because again it always just comes down to like what your personal sense of humor is like but i feel like those dexter books would definitely work for me yeah i i've only read the first one so i can't attest to how the series developed but yeah the the first one definitely made me laugh all right katie do you want to do our second sponsor yes i am doing the second sponsor thank you for reminding me (laughs) um (laughs) 
So I am actually really excited to talk about this sponsor because this one this one sounds really cool. Um, our second sponsor for this episode is Bob Blue, your source for books and gifts for avid readers. Bob Blue, named for the witty, insatiably curious members of the 18th Century Literary Society, is a catalog company that sells books and bookish things. They offer an eclectic, hand-picked selection of odd little books and literary gifts, personally reviewed by a small team of editors. Founded in 1994 by a book-loving lady who launched her venture from her home, Bob Blue is a literary boutique, an alternative to big-box booksellers. Bob Blue offers fun, friendly, personal recommendations of high-quality books and gifts that readers may not discover otherwise. Order online or request a catalog to be sent to your home. Um, if you visit www.bobblue, and that's B-A-S-B-L-E-U dot com slash red or dead, um, Book Riot listeners can receive a special offer. Um, you also, if you, they do specialize in mysteries, but you're not going to find any James Patterson's or Lee Child books here. They really focus on uh, enthralling mysteries that fly under the radar, books that may not be getting a lot of buzz, but are definitely worthy of your attention. And they have a mystery book a month package which features 12 cozies classic whodunits literary thrillers ghost stories and more one heart pounding title for each month of the year shipped right to your door um and they they say that there is still time to grab the ship all at once option and immerse yourself in mystery um they also carry unique gifts for book loving souls like the darkly adorable murder mystery mystery ice cube tray a hilariously macabre addition to your next party or book club gathering and as soon as i read the sponsored description i immediately had a list of like three or four people in my life who need to who need to know about this <laughs> so again that is bob blue b-a-s-b-l-e-u and we thank them very much for sponsoring the show all right so i have our new releases for uh this episode and the first one i have is blackout by alex segura this is the latest novel in uh, the pete fernandez mystery series and so in this book, there is startling new evidence in a cold case that's haunted Pete um, and dra- that drags the exiled P.I. back to his hometown, hometown of Miami. But as Pete and his partner, Kate, Kathy, delve deeper into the unsolved murder, they become entangled in Miami's obsession with charismatic and dangerous cult leader and his even more menacing fl- followers. At the same time, the detectives find themselves at odds with a Florida politician's fixation on wealth, fame, and power. It all converges in the heart of the Magic City, and Pete is left scrambling to pick up the pieces or die trying. Um, So the Pete Fernandez novels have always run on sort of these two uh, storylines, the long-buried Miami mystery that Pete is forced to solve, and Pete's often unpredictable evolution uh, from self-destructive alcoholic to somewhat functioning private eye. And in Blackout, these two tracks sort of blend into one dark, personal, and deadly tale of dangerous obsession that will leave Pete Fernandez completely changed. Um, so it's this book is being described as like all of the books have been leading up to this moment. Um, and that's, this one already came out on May 8th. And again, that's called Blackout by Alex Segura. I don't know if this is one where you need to read all of the books ahead of time. Uh, but if you have been following the Pete Fernandez mystery series, then this the new one is out now. Um, the second book that I have is All Men and the Dragonflies by Martin Suter and 
This is translated uh, by Steph Morris. This one also came out on May 8th. This is a thrilling art heist escapade infused with European high culture and luxury uh, that doesn't shy away from the darker side of human nature. So Johann Friedrich von Allman, which is like the most European name ever, um, <laughs> upon, I mean, come on, um, a bond vivient of dandified refinement has exhausted his family fortune by living in old world grandeur despite present day financial constraints. Forced to downscale, Allman inhabits the garden house of his former Zurich estate, attended by his Guatemalan butler, Carlos. When not reading novels by Balzac and Somerset Mom, he plays jazz on a Berkstein baby grand. Allman's fortunes take a sharp turn when he meets a stunning blonde whose lakeside villa contains five Art Nouveau bowls created by renowned French artist Emile Gillet. I don't know if that's how you say that name. Um, and (laughs) And decorated with a dragonfly motif. Allman, pressured to pay off mounting debts, absconses with the priceless bowls and embarks on a high-risk, potentially violent bid to cash them in. Um, So this is the first of a series of humorous and fast-paced detective novels devoted to a memorable gentleman thief who, with his trusted sidekick Carlos, creates an investigative firm to recover missing precious objects. Um, So if you are a fan of sort of like art heist detective novels and also are just looking for some books in translation this one sounds like it would be really fun um and again that's called all men and the all men and the dragonflies by martin Souter. next up i have a book that a lot of people are very excited about and that is the favorite sister by jessica Knoll. this one comes out on may 15th so as you are listening to this or as this episode goes live it's just a couple of days away um so jessica Knoll wrote the book the luckiest girl alive which was a huge bestseller um And this is her latest thriller starring two sisters who joined the cast of a reality TV series. So uh, in this reality TV show, you are following five hyper successful women who um, basically uh, agreed to be a part of this TV show called Gold Diggers. Um, So Brett is the fan favorite, tattooed and only 27, the meteoric success of her spin studio and her recent engagement to her girlfriend has made her the object of jealousy and vitriol from her castmates. Kelly, who is Brett's older sister and business partner, is the most recent recruit and dismissed as a hanger on by the veteran cast. The golden child growing up, she defers to Brett now, a role which requires her to protect their shocking secret. And then there's Stephanie, the first black cast member and the oldest, is a successful best-selling author of erotic novels. There have long been whispers about her hot, non-working actor husband and his wandering eye. But this season, the focus is on the rift that has opened up between her and Brett, who are former best friends, and resentment soon breeds contempt. Um, so the favorite sister explores the invisible barriers that prevent women from rising up the ranks in today's America and offers a scathing tale on the oft-lionized bonds of sisterhood and the relentless pressure to stay young, relevant, and saleable. And again, that one is called The Favorite Sister by Jessica Knoll. Jessica, I don't know if you read uh, The Luckiest Girl Alive or not, Katie, but I know that that one was one that in the beginning seemed very superficial. And then the deeper you go into the story, the sort of deeper the meanings and the plots and everything went. And this one sounds like it's going to be along the same lines. Yeah, I was actually, I was going to ask if, you, if you've if you read it. I have read Luckiest Girl Alive. And 
And I have, and I'm real quickly while I'm talking about it, I'm double checking my Goodreads. Uh, I'm double checking the Goodreads summary to make sure I am thinking of the right book. Um, but yeah, that one um, was not what I ended up, what I expected from it. And the reason, and I won't, I will not totally explain why, because that would be kind of spoilerish. But it did start off, it, I mean, it, it seemed like it was going to be a, you know, a psychological thriller with, um, with, with a, not only an unreliable main, uh, main character, but an unlikable one. Um, but as the story progressed, like, it took some turns that I was like totally not expecting. Like there was one that there was one that I was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of the trajectory that I was thinking it was was gonna that the story was gonna go down. But then something else happens on top of that. I'm like, holy crap! This yeah. book, yeah, this book just went there. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty dark, um, and I and it was one that I really grew to like the character by the end. I mean, I, I shouldn't say like, because, I mean, she is still, you know, she's still very flawed, but I really, I thought I was going to end up hating the character by the end of the book, and I didn't. Um, and so, yeah, that one, that one was really, really interesting. Um, and then, and then the favorite sister, like, yeah, it sounds, it sounds com like really different from the first, from her first book, but at the same time, I, it also seems like the kind of book that's going to throw some surprises at you. Yeah, exactly. I remember because when I read Luckiest Girl Alive a couple of years ago, um, I remember like reading it and just being like, "Ugh, this book is so like superficial and lame and just like every other sort of unreliable female narrator type story. But then like one of my best friends who does not read a lot of books in general had read this book for some reason. And she was like, no, you have to keep going. And so like, it, yeah, it definitely throws some curveballs at you that you do not see coming. So I, yeah, I have a feeling the favorite sister might do something similar or just sort of talk about topics that are deeper than what it seems like on just through the synopsis. Yeah, um, yeah, and if you and if you have read uh, the favorite sister, send send me a DM so we can talk about it in secret because like talking around it, I just want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, that one I really really liked. So I'm I'm intrigued by this one. All right. And then the final book that I have to talk about is A Million Drops by Victor De Del Arbol. And this is translated by Lisa Dillman. And this one is being described as an intense literary thriller uh, that tears through the interlocked histories of fascism and communism in Europe without pausing for breath. Gonzalo Gill is a lawyer stuck in a disaffected life in a failed career trying to dodge the constant manipulation of his powerful father-in-law. The monotonous existence is shaken up when he learns after years without news of his estranged sister Laura that she has committed suicide under dramatic circumstances. Her death pushes the fragile balance of Gonzalo's life as both a father and a husband to the limit. Resolutely investigating the steps that led to his sister's suicide, he discovers that Laura is suspected of having murdered a Russian gangster who kidnapped and killed her young son. But what seems to be revenge is just the beginning of a torturous path that will take Gonzalo through the untold annals of the family's past that he would rather not face. 
He will have to enter fully into the fascinating story of his father, the great hero of the uh, resistance against fascism, the young Spanish engineer who traveled to the USSR, committed to the ideals of the revolution, who betrayed, arrested, and confined to the infamous Nazi... Nazino Island, and who became a key figure admired and feared of Spain's darkest years. Um, Suspenseful, dark, and thrilling, A Million Drops is a visceral story of enduring love and revenge postponed that introduces a master of international crime fiction to American readers. Um, So again, that's A Million Drops by Victor Del Arbol um, and translated by Lisa Dillman. All right. Had a lot of like I was just thinking a lot of like European and like books and translation and stuff like that. Yeah, I for really, this year for for, yeah. for this week I should say. Yeah, I was noticing that too, and I was like, oh, I actually kind of want to highlight some of these because they all sound really interesting and all sound like just sort of like you know, obviously each country sort of has their own tales that they can tell when it comes to mysteries and stuff like that. So I always like to highlight those when I see them. Definitely. Um, well, I'll I'll give you a talking break. <laughs> And uh, and uh, talk about, you know, what we're reading and starting and stuff like that. So I haven't really finished anything since the last time we recorded, at least not anything uh, mystery uh, related. I did uh, I did read uh, the graphic novel Nimona in a single sitting the other the other day. Um, so good. I loved it. Oh, I love Noelle Stevenson. I love Lumberjanes. And I had Nimona. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm on a reading kick right now. Let me just power through this. I want to read it. And I loved it. Um, again, not mystery or thriller. But yeah, if you haven't read Nimona, read Nimona. Um, <laughs> What I, um, one book that I did start reading, and it's one that one of us talked about in the new releases segment on a previous episode. I don't remember exactly when, um, but it's Beneath the Mountain by Luca D'Andrea, um, which is also a, it was a book in translation, and I do not have the name of the translator at the moment. Goodreads is just giving me the author's name. Um, but it's translated from Italian. And it's set in this small mountain community in the Italian Dolomites, which is kind of like on the, uh, it's, it was used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and it's technically like part of Italy, but they speak this kind of, this the language that they speak is like this blend of like, it's more it's more um, Austrian or German, um, something along those along those lines. I don't know the the specifics of it, but um, but the the main character is an American named Jeremiah Salinger, who uh, moves there. His wife is from there. Um, they have they have a daughter, um, and they they move there. And Jeremiah is part of a um, he's part of a documentary making duo. Um, he and his partner had a TV show that that a documentary style TV show that was you know really doing well and they're record and they start recording uh, footage of this um, this mountain rescue team in the area um, for for the for an upcoming episode and so Jeremiah goes along on one of the missions and there's it goes horribly wrong he's he is the only survivor. Um, and so he, and, you know, he's, he almost dies and his, as a, as a promise to his wife, he says that he's going to kind of like take a year long sabbatical from documentary making because this last time it almost killed him. Um, so he, so he's like, I promise I'm not going to, I'm 
not going to get involved with with that for a long time. I'm really going to take a break. But then while he's kind of recovering and he's out for a walk with his with his daughter, he hears a story about um, in 1985 in that region, there were three um, there were three uh, students that were murdered there, just really like horribly, savagely murdered by a killer who was never caught. And he hears about this story and he, you know, he makes, he's made this promise to his wife that he's not going to, you know, do investigating or documentary making, but the story and the, the unsolved mystery just like takes a hold of him. And he believes that this is that uncovering the secret to this mystery is what's going to bring him is kind of like what's going to revive him, what's going to bring him back from the PTSD that he's suffering from the accident and stuff like that. And so he starts, uh, he starts uncovering the secrets of this small town. And, you know, it just has this really darkly ominous feel to it. And I've been listening to it on audio. And it was, I had it on my radar since we talked about it on the episode. And I, and it was available on audio through like Hoopla or something from my library. And at first, I was, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I feel like this is going to be kind of hit or miss. But so far, it seems to be hitting. Like, I'll, I'll have to see how the story ends up. But the the story structure itself, it takes a while to get started, but it's but it's been so interesting for me that that it doesn't for me it didn't matter that it that it's taken a while to get to like the actual like mystery part of it, you know, to figuring out what you know, bringing up the killings and and finding out what what happened to those students. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a really really enjoyable listen. It's one that sometimes like I like audiobooks, but sometimes. I can stall out like halfway through if it doesn't, you know, if it's not holding my interest, sometimes I just put it down for long periods of time. But this is one that I've that I've really like been actively looking forward to listening to when I get in the car again. Um, so again, that is uh, Beneath the Mountain by Luca D'Andrea. And that is, like I said, I don't have the name of the translator right now, but it is translated from uh, from Italian. All right. Uh, so I have actually finished a couple of books that I have been talking about recently. Uh, the first one is The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. Um, I don't know quite how to talk about this book. Even though I finished it a while ago, I keep thinking about it. It's not a bad book, but it's also not a great book. And I think that what A.J. Finn does is interesting. And I think that it's going to make a better TV show because it's, being, it's one of those adaptations we've been talking about. Um, I think it'll work really well as a TV show or like miniseries or whatever it is um, because it does the unreliable narrator thing really well but I think in book form it doesn't quite work as well for me personally it's possible that I knew too much going into this one um so like in my so the way the book went for me basically is like the story starts off you're following this woman who is agoraphobic and so um she doesn't really leave her house at all and this family moves in across the way and she meets um I think like the wife and son first and then uh, she meets the husband later and then she sees something happen in the window and the neighbor's house and then everything sort of unfolds from there. And it's all about whether or not the neighbors are telling the truth, whether or not she's just like losing her mind if she's unstable a little bit because she is like a agoraphobic and things like that. I mean, you also see chapters of like her previous life, like she's – um married has a daughter and 
I don't believe that they're divorced. No, I think that they're separated. I think they keep mentioning that they're separated in the book. And so, um, yeah, you see like chapters from her life when the husband and uh, daughter lived in the house and things like that. Um, so you spend the whole book sort of trying to figure out what happened that like caused her to become agoraphobic because she wasn't always like that. And what happened to like her uh, marriage and family situation and then also trying to figure out what happened sort of in the neighbor's house. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. And I think that it very much does play homage to Rear Window and all of those like Alfred Hitchcock type movies. Um, in fact, the main character in the book is obsessed with black and white movies. So it felt like a little bit too much of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation to for me. Um, and then also like in your head, or at least in my head, when I was reading the book, there were like five scenarios that I came up with that could be potential. And I think I was just like in the headset of like, oh, there's going to be twists in this book. And so I had already come up with the five scenarios. So when things were going down, I wasn't necessarily surprised. I was just like, oh, okay, this is the path we're going down sort of situation. It's not that they're bad, but I think, again, I just had like, there's a lot of hype around this book and you sort of know what you're getting into with this book. So I was less surprised going into it than I may have been if I had gone into it just knowing it was like a mystery or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I would say that if you want to read this before the uh, TV show and adaptation and everything comes out, it's not a bad book again by any means, but I think that it's going to be a really interesting uh, adaptation if it's done well, for sure. So I don't know. Is that, a, that's like a half endorsement. <laughs> like, I don't know. We'll leave it at that. Um, so the other one that I read was Macbeth by Joe Nesba. And so this is the latest release in the Hogarth Shakespeare um, sort of series that Penguin Random House is doing. And so I haven't read any of the other Hogarth Shakespeare books because none of them really seemed that interesting to me. Um, I know that there was one like Margaret Atwood wrote one and uh, who else wrote? I think and like Alice, Tyler yeah. Vin yes. Vinegar Girl, I think, was one. Yes, that was one. Um, and so all of these, I was just like, okay, it seems interesting, but none of them really like rang any of my bells um, until I came across this one, uh, which is obviously a retelling of Macbeth. Uh, but this one is set in the 1970s, and it's basically like a 1970s detective crime novel sort of situation. Um, so in this story, Macbeth is – it takes place in the 1970s in this small industrial town um, and Macbeth is the head of the SWAT team. And then basically this is one of those books where it's like if you haven't read Macbeth yet, I don't necessarily know if you're going to love it. Um, I read Macbeth when I was in like high school and I think in college I saw an adaptation of it. So it's not like I'm like some huge Shakespeare buff or anything along those lines, but I just know like the basic plot of it. So I think for me it was just sort of fun seeing how Joe Nesba uh, – fit this story in this specific setting. Um, Duncan, who is the king, I believe, in the play, is the chief of police here. Um, and then Hecate, I don't know if that's how you say his name, um, is the head of like a gang drug lord situation. Um, and so, and then Lady Macbeth is like, the head of one of the casinos in the town. It's just really interesting seeing how Joe Nesba does this whole like power play uh, situation as well as like dealing with the guilt and the, 
the different ways the characters' stories sort of unfold. So, like, reading this was a fun experience for me personally just because I liked sort of seeing how the adaptation sort of unfolds. Um, it is a little bit on the long side. Um, I think it's almost 500 pages, which in my opinion, it's not that obviously that's not like super long, but it is on the longer side. Um, and so the very beginning of the book is very, very action heavy. And the very end of the book is very, very action heavy. Um, and then in the middle, it's all character development. So I was super into the middle parts because that's just how I roll. Um, and then, but I feel like some people might find those sections a little bit slower. But personally, I was super into it. So I would say that if you enjoy like 1970s detective stories, then you will probably like this one as well. Or if you're someone who just enjoys Shakespeare in general, you'll like this one. If I feel like this one is like the most different uh, from the other Shakespeare retellings, like even the way they design the book, like all of the other Shakespeare retellings have a very similar like cover design, except for this one. This one looks like a crime novel design, which I think thought was a really interesting choice by like Penguin Random House and everything like that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. I don't think it's necessarily going to be everyone's jam. Like I've seen reviews on Goodreads where people are like, this is so not like a Joe Nesbo book. And it definitely is not. Um, so don't go into this thinking that just because you like Joe Nesbo, you're going to like this one but it is a dark crime novel. So if you like sort of like dark detective crime novels, then I think you're going to like this one. So yeah, that's Macbeth by Joan Nesba. And then in terms of what I'm starting next, I have no idea. I put like the shrug emoji in our uh, Google Doc just because I really don't know what I'm in the mood for these days. I feel like I've been bouncing in between like 15 different books these days, just trying to figure out what I'm in the mood for. And I haven't found anything yet that's clicking with me. So I might just need to take like a couple days off from books and then pick something up and see if it works for me because I think I'm just really tired from work and nothing is like my brain just isn't processing anything right now. Um, um, so yes, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, and I've yeah my my reading has kind of been amping up lately. But yeah, it's but it's one of those things. It's one of those instances where I'm like, I want to read, but I don't know what I want to read. Like I need to be reading something, but then I start reading something and go, no, that's not it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, what was the? There's was like an old old uh, kid story from this this storybook that my mom had when she was a kid for Mr. Pig goes to market and he, and there was a line in there he goes I know what I like and that and that isn't it like that that's what I feel like my reading my reading life has been lately and I'm I'm like yeah I know what I like or or it's like I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure what I want to read but I know it's not that yeah that's definitely where I'm, I'm at too but I also am partially just like I think I'm just tired and I need a nap so <laughs> yeah yeah there are definitely days where I'm I'm just exhausted from work and all I want to do is either sleep or play mind-numbing video games. And I'm just like, I can't read right now. Yeah, I definitely have that feeling as well. So on that note, tune in next time to see if we actually read any books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, that is our show. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen, and you can head over to the Red or Dead section of the page. Um, we're going to have links to all of the different articles uh, that we mentioned at the top of the show, all the different adaptations, as well as links to the award winners that we mentioned for um, the uh, Edgar Awards, as well as the Agatha Christie Awards or Agatha Awards. Um, 
So if you are interested in checking any of that stuff out, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find out about our podcast and join in this fun little community that we have going here. Um, If you have any comments you want to send to us otherwise or you want to give us suggestions for future episodes, because as you can tell, we are very much always looking for suggestions. We love listening to uh, what you guys think would be interesting to talk about and we definitely pick out the ones that sound interesting to us and that we feel like we would have something to say. Um, so you can email us at red or dead at bookriot.com. Um, so if you send an email there, you can provide us with some suggestions for future episodes. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.